don't know a lot about ducks, but I was told that a duck, when it hatches from its egg, attaches itself to the first creature that it sees, thinking that's probably its mother, its parent, whatever it may be. And I read a story about a duck that when it hatched, there was a, a, a collie that was right there with it, and it just assumed that that was its mother and began to follow the dog around everywhere the dog went, doing what the dog did. When the dog barked, it quacked. Whatever happened, it would go. Whenever cars would drive up in the driveway and the dog would go out to the driveway and bark at those cars because it, well, it's a strange car, didn't know about it, the duck would follow him out and quack at the cars. and just really attack. It didn't know. It was confused. It didn't know whether it was a duck or whether it was a dog. had a real hard time. It's a lot like those of us who are Christians. We live in the world, and we struggle with trying to be a part of the world that we're in and wanting to be accepted by everybody around us and fit in and be a part of the things that are going on around us. And yet, something has happened in our lives, and we've had a changed nature. Something has occurred by the grace of God that has moved us from being like the world to being like Christ and what's going on and being a part of what's going on. And we live in that constant contrast, that constant struggle of how do we live in the context of the world in which we are and yet glorify God by the way that we live and the people that we are and being a part of it. The book of Ephesians is God's letter to the church. It is a love letter that he gives to us to understand what his plan is, what his purpose is, what he desires more than anything else for his people to be as we live out our lives of faith in the world in which we dwell. It, he desires for us. It, it is the greatest work on the church that has ever been written. It is that which God desires for us to grab a hold of and get an understanding of who we are as the people of God. And what does that mean if we surrender to Him as Lord and Savior of our life? How does that look as we live out our lives as we are? We don't need to live in that confusion, in that balance, trying to be part of the world and part of the church, part of the life of Christ, part of what it means to be a Christian. We are Christians. And that is the priority of our life. That is to be that which directs our thoughts, our actions, our being, and everything that we are as we dwell in a journey through this world to that place that God has prepared for us called heaven and a relationship with Him that is eternal and all that's going on. As we look at the book of Ephesians, which we're going to be doing over the next long time, we're going to have a time of looking and understanding what this book is about because it's about you. It's about me. It's God's letter. You could address this letter to yourself and understand that God's love is being poured out to you as a people of God and longing for you to understand who you are and what that means and, and to be able to live in the unsurpassing greatness of the love of God and the joy of God and the victory of God and all that's going on and being a part of these ideas and the things that are going on. See, what Ephesians wants us to remember and understand as we go through this is that we are far richer than any of us ever imagined. That we have far more than we could ever begin to comprehend if we just let ourselves dwell within the real reality of who God is and what God wants to do in our lives as we look at that and as we understand that. It's a great, great book. The first three chapters are about the doctrine that God wants us to understand. The last three chapters bring us into the practical aspects of how we live that doctrine out in our lives as we look at it and understand that. And so it's a wonderful time. I pray that you'll let your heart be open, your mind be open, and just receive this great, great letter that God wrote through Paul to you so that we can understand what it is. This morning we're going to look at the first three verses of Ephesians chapter 1 and just as an introduction to the book and what it is and what it has to say to us and then we're going to be moving together through it 
pretty slowly, but because there's so much here that we need to know and understand. But I invite you to stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of God's Word and allow it to speak to us, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The Scripture says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, as we begin this journey and this wonderful letter that you've sent to us through Paul, I pray that you would keep our minds open, our hearts receptive, and that you would allow us to just truly hear the Holy Spirit teach us. Father, this is not about man's opinion, about anyone's thoughts or anything, but it is about what you think about the church, about those that you have redeemed, about those for whom Christ died and gave his life upon the cross. It is beyond the ability to express how greatly important it is that we understand, that we apply, that we allow this book to take hold of our lives and allow the Holy Spirit to be the one guiding us step by step, moment by moment, as we begin to comprehend all that is ours in Christ Jesus and what that means in the practicality of our lives. Father, bless this time that we have, beginning with this, journey, this first step this morning, in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. As we look at this book and as we understand it, Paul begins by just introducing himself, Paul, an apostle of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus by the will of God. That's important for us to understand. This isn't just a book written by just anyone, but it's a book that is written by a man who, first of all, is appointed by God as being an apostle of what's going on. Paul makes it clear. I'm not an apostle because the church voted on me and said, we think he ought to be a good teacher, or he ought to be a good apostle, or he ought to be a good preacher, or whatever it is. It had nothing to do with men. Men had no say in my calling. God called me to be an apostle. God set me aside and gave me a commission and gave me a task. And so knowing that and understanding that is important for us as we understand the book as being a word of God. It's not just man's word. It's not just something that's been printed that sounds good that we're to look at and, and use as a trustees about the church. It is God speaking to us using the human nature and author of Paul and that possibility of that going on. He calls him the Lord Jesus as we look at him and as we see that and understand that, Christ Jesus. And he does that because, you see, the apostles, the disciples, when they knew Jesus, they knew him when he was on earth. They knew him as Jesus. That's what the Bible says. God told Mary and Joseph to name the son Jesus because he would be the savior of the world. He would remove the sins of mankind. And as they walked upon the earth, they understood him. That's who he was. He was Jesus whom they had been called. Paul didn't know him as a a disciple. He didn't know him in that human relationship that was there. When he came to know him, he came to know him as the resurrected Lord, the Christ. The one who had died upon the cross and rose from the dead. The one who was superior to all things and all beings that through whom and by whom and for whom all things had been created. He knew him as the Christ, the Lord, the King, the Lord of Lords. And so when he speaks of him, he speaks of him as Christ Jesus. He knew him in a very personal way because he appeared to him, but he understands him to be Lord. And that's what he calls him and understands him as he looks at him and as he understands what's going on, being part of it. And then he's writing to the saints who are at Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a city that was about as immoral as it could be. It was a city of cults and false religions. It had all kinds of different 
temples to all kinds of different gods. It was a place that was made up of people who thought the only thing that mattered was money and all that they could get for themselves and the things that were going on and whatever it took to do that and being a part of it. And suddenly, a miraculous appearance of God's Spirit worked through Paul and others, and God touched that city, and it was never the same again. That's what happened when God gets hold of our life. And so when Paul writes, he's saying to the saints... He's writing to the people that have become Christians, the people who have turned their hearts away from all the false idols, all the things that are going on, all the false cults and temples and religions and all the things that were extremely abundant there, but they had turned their hearts to Christ. Every person who has genuinely trusted Christ as Lord and Savior in their life, every person who has allowed themselves to acknowledge, I am a sinner and I need a Savior and the only one that can save me is the Lord Jesus Christ and I trust Him fully and completely. Every person who has made that commitment to Christ through faith is a saint. You and I who know the Lord Jesus Christ are saints. That's who this letter is written to. It's written to the saints. In, in its first place, it was written to those who were Christians in Ephesus. But because this is the eternal word of God, the living word of God, the God word that never changes, that never varies in any way, it is as pertinent in the day it was written as it is today in this very moment, we are being written to here. You are the saints to whom he's writing. And we need to understand that to the saints that were there in Ephesus as we look and understand this going on and those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. And then he wishes them grace and peace. Now the grace and the peace that he's referring to here is not the grace of salvation. They're already saved. He's already said that in the, in the sentence prior to that. I'm writing to the saints. I'm writing to Christians. So he's not writing about grace that brought them salvation. He will mention that many times throughout this book. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the grace of God that allows us to live day by day by day by day as the people of God. In all the things that we face, in all the deals that we have to struggle with, in all of our life, all the relationships, all the things that happen, we need God's grace to be able to walk through them in the experience the way God wants us to be, to be the kind of people God wants us to be as we work through And that's what he's praying for the saints there at Ephesus and for all saints, is that we would have God's grace every day of our life. That we'd have the grace sufficient to meet us in whatever need that we have. That we'd have the grace that would overwhelm us for every purpose in our life as we walk with God. And the same thing with peace. It's not talking about peace with God as much as it's talking about peace with one another. The peace of God in our life. The realization that we have a relationship with God that settles all things. That we are at peace with God, at peace with ourselves, at peace with one another. Because we have the prevailing work of the Prince of Peace in our life. We have Him as our Lord, as our Savior. And so He's wishing that all of us would understand that every day that we live, we have God's grace sufficient to us. Every day that we live, we have the peace of God settled upon us that we can live at peace no matter what the turmoil around us may be. That's what He's praying for. That's what He's wishing for, for the saints of God as He looks at that passage and as He understands what's going on and being a part of that from our Father, the Lord of all, God, the Creator, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, what this, that's where grace comes from. That's where peace comes from. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ as we look at it and as we see and understand. And then he talks about as he moves on and goes to the next verse, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of something. He's saying blessed. He, he's he's praising God. He's glorifying God. He's honoring God. He's, he's celebrating who God is. That's what be, that ought to be the most natural thing for all of us, to worship God, to celebrate God, 
to acknowledge how great God is in all things and all things going on around him. And as he blesses him and as he looks at him, he says, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Wow. What a powerful statement. He's going to unfold that in the verses to follow. But what an amazing thing he's saying, that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about our forgiveness. We're no longer held accountable for our guilt. We have been forgiven. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's talking about our justification, the fact that God has looked at us, and even though we are sinners, and even though we are condemned because of our sin, and though we have no rights whatsoever to ever be right in the presence of God, God himself has, brought, has pronounced justification over us. He's talking about our sanctification, the fact that God has set us apart for himself, and the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives day in and day out to help us become more and more and more like what God wants us to be as he deals with that. He's talking about the blessings that we have in the realization of that that God sees us is already glorified because that's a done deal through Jesus Christ. When he sees us because of what Christ did, and as the resurrection verifies for us, we, God tells us that we are already glorified in his sight. We stand in the righteousness of God. He see, the things that we have is that we're dressed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have on the robe of his cleanliness, of his purity, of his holiness. Not anything of our own. We have none. But everything that he is, he has covered us with that through Jesus Christ as he looks about it. He, he's talking about the spiritual blessings of the realization that we know that we have an eternal home with God in heaven that has been prepared for us by Jesus Christ himself and that nothing can take that away from us. That belongs to us. That's our inheritance, that we are co-heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ as we look and understand that and see. And on and on and on and on and on we could go of all the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. That's what he's talking about, that God has blessed us in Jesus Christ through all the blessings, spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And that's a good word too, because that means all the things that God has given to us, our salvation. Boy, you know, if, if it was up to you and to me, to keep hold of our salvation, we couldn't even last through the day. We wouldn't be able to make it through the day without losing it. But it's not up to us. It's up to God. And he keeps it, he says, in, in heavenly places, in, in spiritual dwelling of high places. It's where nothing can touch it. You remember Jesus said, don't lay up your treasures on earth where moth and rust and everything can destroy it. Put it in heaven where nothing can face it where nothing can touch it, where nothing can take it away, where nothing can remove it. It belongs to you, and God holds it for you in your name, in his place forever. That's where all those spiritual blessings are. That's where all the things that God has given to us are found, are placed in Christ Jesus in heaven, in that place where he dwells and all, and it's being kept for us. It's being stored for us. It's there for us to know the fullness of all that it is and all the things that are going on as we deal with it and going on with that. And the blessings that we have not only are being kept with us, but the idea is that according to the scripture, that the word that is used is a word that means that there are blessings that we have also right now. It's not just that they're being stored up there. It's not pie in the sky by and by. It is that, but it's so much more. It's every day God blesses us. Every day God works in our life. Every day God moves to touch our hearts and to remind us of who he is and what he wants to do and be in our lives as we look at that. And so we're blessed in every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms as we look at it. 
There's story after story after story that's told about people who maybe some people would call eccentric, eccentric uh, some just call them crazy, uh, whatever the case may be. But they, they live as paupers. They, they, Hetty was a woman like that. She lived on cold oatmeal because she didn't want to pay the heating bill to have to heat it. She had nothing but all kinds of false, I mean, trash and things like that in her household. Her son had to have a leg amputated because she couldn't find a free clinic in time to get him to a clinic. She, had, she was worth millions of dollars and lived like a pauper. And so are we, living like paupers, when we have all of the riches of heaven at our disposal. That's what he's talking about here. That's what he's saying. We have, for us, blessed in every spiritual blessing. In every spiritual blessing. It's not that you have one, and you have one, and you have one, and you have one, and we just do the best that we can. No, we have all the spiritual blessings of the kingdom of God belong to every single one of us. We're richer than we understand, greater than we ever know, because we don't bother to let the word of God penetrate our minds and our hearts. We don't let it speak to us and understand what God is saying. This is God's word. And I I, I reiterate to you again and again and again, this letter is written by God through the humanity of, of Paul, but it's God's word. It's the Holy Spirit that's speaking it and writing it, and he's writing it to you. And you need to put your name there. You need to read it, and you need to understand this is what God says, who I am. This is what God says how I'm supposed to act. This is what God says are the riches that are mine. This is who I am in the book of Ephesians. Folks, we need to start living like that. We need to start acting like that. We stay confused and wonder why in the world is our world in such a mess? Why do we have so many problems? Why are there so many issues? It's because the church won't be the church. And until we decide we will be the church, we don't have any hope of breaking through the darkness. We don't have any hope of changing the hearts and the minds of people. Because they don't see any difference between you and me and them. We're, like that. We're still trying to be like that duck. We want to be like the world. We want to be accepted by the world. We want to fit in. But we know that our nature is not that way. A duck wasn't a dog. No matter how much it tried to be a dog, it couldn't be a dog. It's a duck. And we can't be like the world no matter how much we try if we're truly Christians because we're not like the world. The spirit of the living God dwells within us. And we've been changed. We've been made new. We've been made different. We are brand new creations according to the word of the living God. And God expects us to live like it. Well, how do we do that? The book of Ephesians is going to help us. It's going to give us insight and understanding. It's going to help us grab a hold of some of the promises of God for each of one of us. It's going to help us to put a vision into the reality of God's word so that we can see it lived out in our lives among one another, being the people of God together and growing together in all that God wants us to be and being a part of that. See, what God wants us to understand is that we are his children. We're his children. He loves us. Oh, oh, how great is his love for us. We could never even begin to pin it. 
Songs have been written about it, poems have been written about it, sermons have been preached about it, poems have been written, all kinds of trustees have been written about it. Everyone trying somehow to find the word, the right understanding of how to speak of the love of God, and you can't do it because it's so far beyond our comprehension. It's so far greater than anything that we have ever been able to conceive, and it's for you fully, completely, totally for you. God loves you, and God wants you to know the abundance of life, the fullness of life that he created you to have. And he wants you to be that light that dwells in the darkness of this world, making an impact day by day, moment by moment, on the people that we meet. Changing lives one by one by allowing the Holy Spirit to work through us to touch them. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning... As we think about the book of Ephesians and the journey that we'll be taking through it, I just pray that you would bless it. I truly believe it is what we need to be looking at and studying. I don't have any question about its authority. I have no question about its inspiration, about its power. This is your word. I know that to be true. And Father, I pray that because it is your word and it's because it's written to each of us individually and collectively that we'll listen to it. We've heard it over and over, I know. We've taught it. We've had sermons about it, Sunday school lessons about it. Most of us have read it over and over again in our own private Bible times and devotional times. We're familiar with the words that it has. But somehow, Father, we just don't ever let those words get past our ears. We don't ever let them get past our mind into the very depths of our being so that they take root and take hold and begin to bloom. Bring forth the fruit that you want them to bring forth. So I pray, Father, even as we begin this morning with just a simple introduction of being reminded that that you called Paul to be your apostle. And by your will, you gave him the ability and the inspiration and the guidance to write your word to your church. And you have given us by your will and by your purpose through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ all the spiritual blessings, keeping them for us even as we experience them in the fullness of our daily life. God, open our eyes, our hearts, our minds, our very lives and help us to be the people you've called us to be. I pray in Christ's name.